Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. I'm kind of laughing a little bit right now because we always test the microphone with a five second recording just to make sure the microphone works. We're all good. We're not going to record a podcast. And I, need to, I need to get over my like pre race jitters. But we should really start putting those together and just yeah. releasing them at the start of the podcast because they're funny. We yeah, said yeah. some ridiculous stuff on there. Megan just walked up the stairs. I think you were out down there peeing or eating checks or something. Actually, a combination of both. <laughs> and Megan was just like breathing really hard because, you know, stairs are impossible. St okay, stairs are hard. Yeah, it doesn't matter how trained you are. Stairs are impossible. It's kind of like the Hills discussion we'll get to later. And so Megan's just like, okay, we need to do it. Look, you need to give me a second before we start this podcast. So I'm like, okay, we'll just test. And Megan, uh, we need to release that because Megan's just like, but that wasn't even planned. That was just, yeah, it was just in the background. Our microphone is so good, it's picking up my audible breathing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've had a great time here. It's turning green in Boulder. Things are pretty delightful. Pollen is popping in the air. Neither of us have allergies, but we have a lot of athletes who have allergies, and they're yeah, like, yeah. yeah, we are not feeling it right now. Yeah. They're bringing the audible breathing. Um, so on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we were out in the field right behind our house, which opens up into kind of an open space. It's totally empty. And if you follow us on Instagram, you'll see we kind of post. We have like a menagerie of animals that yeah, go yeah. through our our neighborhood. We got llamas, we got goats, we got cows, we got baby foxes, baby foxes. We got lots of things. And it's popping off over they're here. They're always out in this open space. I think the population of animals out there that's like a fifty to one animal to human population. Yeah. We never see anyone out there. Yeah. So we take Addy Dog out there, who at this point is basically like imagine a nine year old golden retriever. That is her. She. 100% that type of mindset, very chill. Um, and we're out there and we're walking and all of a sudden we see a ranger car pull up. Where Again. We walk. Again, as you know from the podcast. And so this is the first time I've experienced this. And I'm like, okay, we'll just avoid this um, because we didn't have Addie's uh, voice and sight tag, which is makes it legal in Boulder. So start walking around. And I'm like, oh, we're going to find the secret back entrance. And just as we're getting there, right before the ranger car just slowly pulls up. It was like hill. a horror movie yeah. seeing this, seeing this car just appear on the but open then the, range. Then the best part is we go around and are like, okay, okay, I know one more spot that goes through a stream bed. It's impossible to see. We're going to get out. We're going to be like uh, fugitives from the law. This is amazing. And we go in and all of a sudden we come around a hill and the car is parked in the middle of the trail. Around this was impressive driving. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, honestly, probably not the best thing ecologically. This was a full-on Easter Sunday sting mission. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I had decided to take off my shirt and use it as a leash around Addie's uh, collar. And the, the ranger comes up and he's like, that ain't no leash. <laughs> Actually, he was like, that's not a six foot leash. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because earlier in the day, you ran, we did a long run on Easter Sunday yeah. and you had a fanny pack and I was giving you so much crap yeah. for wearing this fanny pack. And I was like, oh my God, if we had had the fanny pack to attach to the shirt, we could have had a six foot leash and it would have been perfect. <laughs> well, we also could have had a six foot leash if you had taken off your shirt and attached it to my shirt. Yeah, but that was a problem because it was a, a Sunday and I had been on the couch all day cranking on a deadline and was not wearing a bra. So I was like, <laughs> I have no clothes on that I could take off and give to you without public nudity yeah yeah well i think it should be a public decency ex uh, fine at that point um but yeah so we he totally lawyered the shit out of me um the the ranger and was like that's not a six foot leash and i'm like wait so you're saying i can't have a shorter leash she's closer to me and it didn't matter so we but got, i was pretty pleased about the situation yeah. she was like i just made a new friend this is great i don't understand what's going on right so now now Addie has two strikes 
for the official legal definition of running at large. Um, Which so- I actually, I feel like that would be amazing. So we talked about this before on the podcast, like running at large just kind of defines my identity. And <laughs> I would love to put that on a shirt. Like yeah. I think at some point we're going to have podcast branded merchandise and running at large is for sure going to be the first shirt. Yeah. I hope there isn't a three strikes in your out policy for Addy. They're going to like take Addy away. And They're little- going to bring her to court and be and, like, hey, yeah. speak your, speak your terms. <laughs> little puppy handcuffs. She's going to be taken but away. I mean, it's just, it's so weird to me. Like I am all about, like I've been chased on dogs. By, yeah. chased by dogs on trails. I've been jumped on by dogs. I actually, one of the reasons that I like had exacerbation of my hamstring injury yeah. is because a golden retriever jumped on me <laughs> and I like stepped back and it like aggravated my hamstring. So I'm all about like safe use of dogs on trails, but we literally like the ranger is the only person we've seen out there in weeks and there's lots of llamas out there and it just feels a little ridiculous. Yeah. To be honest. Um, I think we live in one of those neighborhoods where uh, the, the, neighbors are probably uh calling the calling the rangers on basically everything so yeah yeah, fun fun uh fun venting session there (laughs) but before we get into the podcast i think just a general announcement i wrote this in the podcast outline yeah hills are hard they're so hard they're impossible whether they're stairs coming up before a podcast or like outdoor hills on trails always audible breathing going on but i feel like right now we're starting to give athletes a lot of hill workouts we're getting into a lot of people are thinking about racing um like big training sessions are coming up and i just had this reflection last week you gave me a monster hill workout last week i actually saw it and was a little bit like oh my gosh what am i gonna do that's gonna happen it's just a baby hill workout compared to what you're doing tomorrow. And I've been having this conversation a lot with athletes and their logs. It's like, you know, hills are always hard. They're never going to get yeah. easier. Like, I think you just, instead of getting easier, you just go faster or become more economical on hills. Like, it's always going to hurt the same amount. Yeah, and it's always going to be slow relative to what your normal running feels like. So it's a window into your soul, like how you feel about yourself. I find that when I feel really good about myself, that I'm really, I'm okay with those feelings, you know, that it, going up a hill, it's like the last few push-ups that you're doing in a set where your whole body is like, okay, I'm ready to stop. And the point is what happens then? And what happens then is you're like, okay, well, what do I think about myself at this moment? It all feels so slow. So for yeah. me, actually last week I had um, eight by two minute hills, four by one minute hills. And at the end of the two minute hills, I was convinced I was going at least 30 seconds slower. Yeah, yeah. But I was not, but it's interesting because like the last couple of hills felt fundamentally different. I was like, I am running through sludge. I am running so slow yet. It was the same exact pace. And I'm just fascinated by that, that like perception of physiology. Well, you, I think you approach that with such good mentality. I mean, you pushed your workout back a day so that you could really go at it mentally when you just didn't have it perfectly on the Wednesday of. And it just so happens that that night um, of the bailed on workout, we were watching Last Chance You on Netflix, a show that we were watching the football version. And something really resonated with both of us at the time, um, which was the coach, Buddy Stevens, which who we don't, we'll get into why we don't love necessarily. Uh, yeah, I think he's the exact opposite of yeah. our coaching philosophy, probably in every way. But <laughs> yeah. this is, but he had this great saying, go, go for Well, it. so they had a 25 game win streak and he's like, well, it's not about 25 games. The goal is to go one and oh. Um, just to and win they this even game. had that like muraled onto their locker room. They yeah. had one and no muraled onto the locker room walls. And I love that because I think for me, like sometimes I get very overwhelmed. Like I saw yeah. this hill workout and I was like, oh my gosh, like thinking about doing like 12 hills and doing 12 hills hard is just overwhelming to me. But I think breaking it down into chunks of going one and no yeah. is something that my my brain can wrap around like a much, much better. And doing that with anything in life is impossible. Like if you think about anything all at once, it's just like for me, it like crushes, it's like a crushing weight. Um, and that's not just like one long-term, that's also a day. Like if I think about how much I have to do in a single day, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I just get tired. I just want to like fall asleep. Or at the beginning of long runs, I sometimes find, like I always recommend athletes do the first mile insanely slow. That helps so much. Yeah. 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 And it's because 
it's the only way to be like, okay, this is super relaxed. Like, even if you could go faster and it doesn't change your fatigue at all, it's just like, okay, this is something that's fun and uplifting and it's not a huge heavy lift. But it was really fun to apply that in the hill workout I did yeah. because before the start of every hill, I was like, let's just go one and oh on this. Yeah. Let's just go one and oh. And you texted me after the workout and you're like, Megan, you went one and oh. And I was like, I responded back as like, no, David, a motherfucking went 12 and oh. I did 12 freaking <laughs> hills. That adds up, boy. Yeah, I was so impressed. And, you know, I took that a lot for myself too. Like that, you know, I think sometimes you get like really those, all those intervals in a row or all these things at once or all your work at once can be kind of overwhelming. For me, sometimes I'm like, oh, well, why does this really matter? Like, why am I doing this on myself? And what, what mantra works for me. So for Megan, it's one to know for me, it's bet on yourself, bet on yourself, bet on yourself, like committing to that over and over again, which is something I got from author Shay Serrano, because my thing is like, I'll often be focused outside my own brain. I was gonna say, I think it keeps you in the present yeah. moment. Yeah. I'll be like, well, how's Megan's workout going? How's how is my athlete, how's Tabor's workout going? Like, how are all these people doing? And in reality, it's like, okay, stay where you are and focus on yourself. And this is a time where it's actually okay to indulge that ego that you might be trying to like put down at other times. Like, let that shine. Um, and whereas for Megan, that might also that might not have been the most that might not be the most productive mantra to use. That's that's really grateful. Yeah, I know because I put so much pressure on myself yeah. that if I bet on myself, it's like all bets are off. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a disaster. <laughs> it's a total disaster. Yeah, so for me, like I'm trying to actually cultivate a little bit of athletic selfishness while I'm out there. And then like it, it'll turn off because like the default for me would be like, oh well, let me go see my phone to see like what how an athletes are doing on their workouts. Like I just got a, a text from Nick Costava before this about I'm so tired, I can't do like if I had seen that during a workout, I'd be like, heck yes, that's amazing. But then I would also take my mind off. My I know head. it's funny, I know you have that perception. So I always try to send you like really fun emojis, yeah. really uplifting messages during your workouts. Like he might see this, and oh. this might be the difference that he needs to like crush this workout. But it's actually this conversation makes me think about the fact that I've recently really been embracing the concept of data free days. Yeah. So I had this moment, this was a couple weeks ago when I was out running on our trails, like four miles away, totally in the middle. I hadn't seen anyone but llamas out there. And all of a sudden I was starting to get Slack notifications yeah. on my Garmin. And it just totally took me out of the moment. And yeah. the absurdity of it just, I mean, I just felt the full weight of the absurdity that here I was out in the middle of the wild getting Slack notifications yeah. on my wrist. And I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I think the data free stuff is something that is it really important for people to fully engage with right now. Like Matt Daniels has been talking about this on Twitter. Like once we start measuring things like athletics, the relationship with it can become totally different. Like I know sometimes when I think process my runs, I'm not thinking about what the run was. I'm thinking about what the Strava summary of it was, which is totally inaccurate about the actual experience. Well, it's funny for me, like Strava is this community where you're yeah. sharing your runs with others, but I even do that on runs that are private. So yeah. like, you know, I'll be out there. I'm not even planning to like upload this run to Strava or like I'll be on the bike on Zwift and like, I'll be like, oh, well, what if I just like take my watts a little bit further and I yeah. got to like, you know, 180 watts instead of 179 watts for this workout. Would that, would that change how I conceptualize this yeah. workout? And it's like this kind of like this like mission creep that happens over time. Yeah, and it just keeps going and going and going. Like, I think as soon as you start measuring something, the relationship with it changes. Oh, it bit. totally changes. And it's, I am so motivated by that in a way that I think is both good and bad. I've actually thought about this. I'm like, well, if there's anything that I don't want to do in life, I should just start measuring it yeah. because I would be motiv so motivated to do it. Like I should really look at like the average dishes I do per minute or like <laughs> the number of times per week I brush my hair because I hate brushing my hair. I hate doing dishes. And it's like, you know, if I measure that, I might actually do it. Well, your hair is perfect and beautiful. We could really use the dishes though. So <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah, actually. But the converse of that is I put so much pressure yeah. on myself for these things that are just like totally random and measurements. Also, 
performance. I think it might constrain you and others sometimes. Like I, I was saying to an athlete the other day, it's like the saying is, do you believe in miracles? Not do you believe in probabilities? And there's a reason That's for that. That's a great saying. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, because the thing is, if you're playing like, okay, well, I need to think about where I'm at on the bell curve and all this, like miracles don't happen. Like those, those three standard deviation above the mean moments, like they're impossible. Like when you think about them statistically, you can't think about that shit statistically. You need to think about that shit emotionally. Well, it's funny because my brain naturally gravitates towards the, that statistics or the data analysis. And I think that's the problem with like loving data is, is like at the same time, like, oh, let's analyze this. And, yeah. You know, sometimes I think for me, it's healthy. Like sometimes I have a healthy relationship, but I've just found that it's so important to- like, Having the option to turn. I, it's like, exactly. Taking that like holistic look at it. Ian, the way that I've solved this, so I love this. <laughs> I wound up the other week, I was like, you know, I just really need to make the leap. I bought a freestyle shark watch, okay. which is like the the dream from like my life as a kid. I so I wasn't aware of these. They were a thing when we were- Oh yeah, they were like all the fat. Okay. Like, they were like a big rage when we you were would kids. Be but I never had one, which the is hot, the thing. The hottest shit on the playground. I know, 11 year old me would be so proud of <laughs> yeah, yeah. me right now, rocking a, a shark freestyle watch. But yeah, all week I'm like, baby shark. That definitely was not around at the time of freestyle shark watch. We're going to give some parents that are listening to the podcast, like a visceral reaction to that song um but yeah it looks super sexy it's got like a rainbow butterfly thing going on with the sharks it's yeah cool. but most importantly it does not receive slack notifications and that's amazing <laughs> well it's funny because i so my garmin actually gives me different buzzes yeah so there's like a buzz for slack notifications and then i know the difference between a slack notification and an email buzz and i'm like wow pavlov's dog has oh gotten gosh. real complex now i can like differentiate <laughs> between buzzes and like what that means yeah it's that's so funny i only have one that megan always hears all the time that's Addie's step tracker saying that she met her goal for the day. That's my only buzz. And I get, and I'm like Pavlov's dog. I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Addie is fit. This is great. <laughs> That's a great one. And so on the subject, we wanted to highlight an old study that I had not been aware of exactly that I think is really cool. So in the journey Journal of Personality and Social Psychology from 1974. Holy yeah, crap. Yeah, like the seminal study on the uh, overjustification effect. So if we have psychologists or sociologists listening, cut a slack on this. This is not our area. Um, they essentially looked at what happens when you start incentivizing people based on um, things they, for things they like to do anyway. Um, and so it's a really cool study design, broke children up, three to five-year-old children up into three groups. Um, the first group, they were uh, for like artistic endeavors, they were given a reward before they started. Like, if you do this, you get a reward. They were told that. Do you know what the reward was? I think it was just like an awesomeness sticker. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it wasn't even money or anything. I love it was that. just like a, a compensation that meant Well, it's funny because this was 1974. So I'm trying to think about like what rewards would be in 2021. Like, oh, God. So definitely, there's definitely inflation for rewards. Like, kids would need like a freaking Apple Watch to sign <laughs> the consent to this study. That's so true. And so the second group uh, was given the reward after but not told about it. Um, and the third group was just a control group that was given nothing. Um, so they did this for a few days, then came back a few weeks later and saw that the children in group A that were given, uh, were told they were gonna be given compensation for doing what they love, this art project, no longer did it. it that intrinsic motion um, uh, motivation was taken away. Um, and I think it's really interesting as we think about our, our, our incentives, you know? So with running, if you're motivated by the watch or results or a sponsorship or whatever it is, man, that's going to turn into a really negative spiral. It's, it's fascinating. So actually, I learned the term. So one of the terms they've used for the study is overjustification. And that yeah. was the first time that I've seen this term. And I think it's, I've seen this often related to athletes. Yeah. Um, so athletes who get sponsored, all of a sudden, it changes the paradigm, changes, it shifts why they even think about running for some runners. And I think it's so important to like, like remove that and oh, to yeah. really think about like the intrinsic reasons of why we're doing this. Well, and the this. most nightmare question that we've actually gotten to the podcast a few times is, how do I get sponsored? 
And it's like, that is a really tough question to ask as like the science shows, because as soon as you start asking that question, running is going to become this thing that is not necessarily uplifting to you. And yeah, why you get out the door every day changes slightly. And it's, yeah. it's funny because I think like sometimes those slight changes are okay, but I think once things go wrong, it's when those slight changes are really magnified and it becomes hard to rebound from them. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm so fortunate that when we started coaching, I mean, it was free, you know, but you look at my other job, my past job law in law, like it's all motivated to achieve partner which is this, this goal that is at the, the end of the rainbow that you're pushing towards. It's ultimate like non-intrinsic motivation or in academia. I was gonna say academia. Oh, I think about academia with tenure. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, you know, you, people go years thinking about tenure and yeah. you know, it's this motivation that totally changes the structure of why you're doing things. Yeah. So how you step off that train, I mean, all this stuff, it's a game you have to play, but just be aware that like it, our brains are structured in such a way that as soon as we start tr like playing that game specifically, like fitting within the, the bounds of the framework, uh, our motivation goes out the window and the things that we love become things that we don't, which is how you see people that their job is their passion or whatever become my job is a job that I hate. Okay. I love psychology. Yeah. I feel like I, I really want to dive deeper into the field of psychology. Like I, I didn't really quite know like the amazingness of it in college. Yeah. I think if I could go back and major in psychology, yeah. I majored in neuro neuroscience, which is like kind of a close rel relative to psychology, but yeah. just a lot more like neurobiology. I don't, that I, don't know, I could have done without all of your studies are on like, college or, or post-collegiate athletes i feel like doing studies on three to five year old athletes oh my gosh that'd be so fun yeah yeah we could dig down into shark watches would motivate the shit out of those oh kids. my gosh those because we'd be punched by shark watch. i would have done anything for a kid for a shark watch <laughs> yeah i love it so okay so episode 43 um is the adia barnes episode who is the basketball coach at the okay. university of arizona okay so women's basketball right now is rocking so the the women's ncaa tournament just happened um shout out so the so right now is not a great time honestly yeah. for watching sports like i think the viewership on sports has been down in general but the Sweet 16 viewership went up 66% since yeah. 2019. That is bonkers. That's awesome. And it might be connected. I mean, if you remember at the beginning of the NCAA tournament, they showed all these like viral weight room photos where the men's weight room was this massive palace. Oh my gosh. It was like this like quarter mile long gym. Yeah. And then the women's weight room kind of looked like if you went to Planet Fitness and paid like $8 for a monthly yeah. membership and then opened the closet and stuck some weights in there. That was what the women's and honestly, gym looked it like. It kind of looked like a conference room in a Motel 6 where it would be good for a murder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so Adia Barnes is the coach at Arizona. So Arizona and the women's NCAA tournament went on to beat UConn, which is a yeah. big deal. UConn is like notably a women's basketball dynasty. Arizona has not had historically a great yeah. record. They were six and twenty-four in two thousand seventeen. Didn't even make the yeah. tournament, which is horrid. They're just very, very bad in, in and very basketball. recent too. Like that's probably some of the. I mean, it is some of the same recruits that are on the same teams. So Arizona, they went to the final championship game. Um, they wound up losing to Stanford by one point, but it was a big deal for Arizona to be the the runner up and to have. Just kind of this like awesome trajectory um since audio barnes the head yeah. coach has taken over and you know audio barnes recommend re uh, represents so many things that she will say but one of the main things that they were talking about on the broadcast was that she has a six-month-old daughter um and so at halftime of these games she was pumping breast milk as holly rose said on espn for those of you who think this is too much information she told viewers from the sideline let's normalize working mothers and all they have to do i love that conversation i think sometimes like there's a risk in yeah. being like this mother is this identity that we always talk about yeah, first like whenever we identity, talk about yeah. women. But I think like, I think she integrates this so well. She's also a black woman and she talks about like all these different identities integrating into what she, what she does and informing the process of what she does. And I just think that's like, that's something that's really cool. Yeah, And she represents so much about authenticity as what she represents, like her identities, but then also as she coaches, like my, the, the reason that she really jumped out to me was at halftime or at the, after the um, final four game, she, like 
got caught on a hot mic, so she didn't know she was being recorded, holding up two middle fingers for the haters um, post game, and she was like, "F everybody, f everybody who doesn't believe in us." And so it got caught and kind of went viral. Yeah, in the conservative media, media people, as people you can were imagine. like, "This is not the way to coach." And I loved how she responded to this. So she said, "I'm just myself. There's no strategy to it. I had a moment with my team, and I said something to my team I truly felt, and I'm not apologizing for it. We believe in each other, and I'm in those moments." I thought that was so cool. Like I think there's this kind of like I know for me, I'm just like so over apologetic in situations like yeah. this and seeing someone own this and being like, yeah, this is authenticity. This is how I coach. And like, you know, this is out in public now. And that yeah. is great. I think, I think to me, that's something that's really I am, powerful. I am in those moments. That is the key. Like for me, I always try to think about that as coach is like, or anything I do is authenticity to me and what I feel, as long as I'm not intentionally harming anyone, no need to ever apologize for that. Like, I think for both of us, we, we err towards apology. It might be worse and harder for when, I mean, it definitely is harder for I was going to say, I always over-apologize. And, you know, sometimes I think, it, like, whenever I send that email, like, oops, yeah. I messed up. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do this. Oops. Like, I feel this, like, weight coming off my, like, chest. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I feel so much better. But I also have to realize, like, the ramifications of doing that. Like, if I'm doing that in a situation where I don't actually apologize, like, yeah. what that does to myself and what that, like, you know, the incentive structure that it creates for other women coming into, like, careers and academia for sure. and sport. Yeah, internalized patriarchy. I mean, I was about to sing uh, Britney Spears. Oops. Uh, but I stopped because uh, I, I, wanna, I don't want to interrupt I you. Just, I should just send that as the link uh, in the yeah. emails. Um, and it reminds me of Siri Lindley, um, amazing triathlon coach who talks about being relentlessly authentic. Um, and I think that at the end of the intro, that's what we really want to emphasize is this relentless authenticity. Hopefully that bends towards like these this belief and this love and all of these other things. But whatever it bends towards, like indulging that and embracing that part of yourself it's what like life is all about, like this time that we have on earth to just in be authentic and be ourselves. And I think for us, like that authenticity comes out in enthusiasm. And we've for sure, we've sure for sure taken flack for that. People are like, you know, why are you so enthusiastic all the time? But I think it gets down to the concept of like, we just bring a lot of, like, I mean, yeah. that's like what we try to bring throughout life and coaching. Well, for us, that is like, we think about life and it's like, well, enthusiasm, you know, it's the only way to push back against the darkness for us. Um, and so, you know, whatever that is for you, just indulge the fuck out of it. Oh, I love that. That's such a great awesome. way to end the intro. Do you want to go into topic one? Let's do it. This is from, this is from B and it's on healthy competition with races starting up again. I find myself registered for a number of races set to compete against close friends and training partners as a person who has ruined relationships in the past because of competitive nature. How do you balance the selfish feelings of wanting to do well in a race yourself, but also cheering for and wanting your friends and training partners? to succeed to in a selfless way i love this question it's Thank so you. Good. i mean i think also too it takes a lot of guts to send this question in yeah. and to acknowledge it and i'm just proud of the person who sent us in. yeah and we'd love as many person everything's confidential that you send um as many personal questions as you can actually sometimes we even change the initials because we're like this could be too i'm like all about like, yeah because of like the research studies i do i'm like all about de-identification like let's change the initials on this one <laughs> yeah um yeah and this actually what it reminds me of is so we've transitioned from wiffle ball fridays to horse or in our Super fuck um, is our game that we play with basketball. And I got to see Megan's competitive spirit come out firsthand. I sometimes get hints of it. And it's like, okay, oh. that is, also that's like a dampened down competitive spirit. Yeah, yeah. You should have seen me at age five. I can't imagine what that was a like. A hellion child. <laughs> on the playground, it would have been nasty. Um, and so, you know, Megan all of a sudden was just like, I am going to win this freaking game. Like you just see it in her eyes and feel it. And I don't necessarily have that. So I think this question is really good for some a personality like well, you. You're bringing the lawyer conversation yeah. to horror. So I love shooting free throws. Like I could shoot free throws all day. And you're like, Megan, you can't take the same shot more than once. You have to <laughs> move 12 inches, so, which is like some arbitrary lawyer number. So I was just moving 12 inches off the foul line and then moving back from my next shot. And that was how I was yeah, she's doing, stepping side to side, hitting like 15 shots in a row. There's some amazing videos on our Instagram. If you want to see Megan playing basketball. No, there were a lot of, a lot of fails in there. 
too. Oh my God. I not too many of them. Um, but you know, what we want to talk about with competition to start is that one, none of us are ever entitled to beat anyone else. You know, I think that sometimes the idea of competitive drive and wanting to win is putting down people around us without necessarily intending to. Well, I think there's a bias there too, because like you have seen your own training, you yeah. have seen how hard you're working. You're like, well, like I deserve to win. Of course I deserve to win. But yeah. it's like, it's so much easier, I think, to conceptualize the work you've done. But then like when you go out and actually see what other people are doing, you're like, oh my gosh, people are working just as hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, we talk about nonlinear responses to, to add up, you know, stimuli all the time. The point is like, the amount of the quantity or the amount of intensity isn't necessarily going to predict outcomes anyway. Or how you train doesn't necessarily always predict race outcomes. So we have some athletes that we coach that like are incredible race athletes. Like they could never do the performances that they do yeah. on race day in training. And I would actually argue that's a great thing. It might be a great sign of tra amazing training. But just because you train with someone doesn't mean that you should consistently beat them in racing. Like if you're beating them in training, that's not always the equation for beating them in racing. And I think the other thing too, so I have been in races. I actually yeah. think back to North Face 50. Um, I think this was 2018. I remember running i was in fourth place at the time and this was a stacked race yeah. like there were 20 women, stacked races 25 women ever, yeah. 20 25 women in this race that i was like any one of these women could could win this and all of a sudden there was someone on my shoulder that i had never heard of before never yeah. seen her before and i was like oh my gosh who is like <laughs> why is this person i've never seen before running on my yeah. shoulder and it turns out it was uh britney peterson she finished yeah. fifth britney peterson went on i mean she's had an incredible career one of the best got, runners in the world got second at western states um but this was the first time this was her like breakout race the first time i'd ever heard of her yeah and it just like it threw me for a yeah. moment because I was like, how is this person I've never heard of running on my shoulder? But it turns out, I mean, she's incredible. Well, I mean, and you've been that person in the past that no one had ever heard of. And that there's this process of athletic growth that comes and goes and fits and starts. And when we're talking about competition, we're trying to map ourselves onto this other outside chaotic world that we don't control. And it gets back to intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. As soon as we're competing, as soon as the goal is to win, we can drive ourselves down terrible paths. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of examples of this. Um, so, you know, Michael Jordan might be held out as like an example of good competition, but I mean, that guy has ruined oh people's gosh. lives. Yeah, you think about like what he's done outside of sport and he is known as this person with this just like maniac ego. And I think yeah. that's what happens when you let this like competitive drive just extend to its full, fullest like nature. Yeah, and then on the other, on the far end of someone that isn't held up like that, but is probably a similar personality is Lance Armstrong. But he was held up that, yeah. that for a while. Well, like, I remember watching the commercial where it was like, they asked Lance, like, what are you on? And Lance response, I'm on my bike six hours a day, busting my ass. But what it are you on? on? He was, turns out he was on every steroid known yeah, yeah. a man. <laughs> every single horse steroid within Lance's bloodstream. Um, and that gets back to the idea that as soon as you let this ego drive your decisions, drive the way you think, um, it's going to push us all down really dark paths. That doesn't mean that we should act like the ego is a bad thing necessarily. Like it's probably tied to upbringing and it's tied, probably tied to genetics. Oh, tied to evolution. Yeah. And I think we, we've talked about this before on other podcasts, but like, it's okay for that to be there. Like it's a natural part of life for that to be there. And like, I think it's important, like one, that's not your action. Yeah. So like you can take actions and those aren't your thoughts. But I think the other thing too is, is like talking about it openly is okay. Yeah. Like, I think like sometimes people are like, oh, I shouldn't talk about this openly. Like maybe this means I'm a bad person. And it's like, no, actually like talk about that with friends, partners, therapists, whoever, because I think it really helps you like work through it and process it. Yeah. And once you realize other people do the same thing, I yeah. mean, it's, it makes it feel like, I think for me as a coach, once I've realized that other female athletes feel the same way, yeah. it normalized it for me in a way that makes it easier for me to take that and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to take action so that I don't feel this for way. For sure. And it goes for all negative feelings we have, like acknowledging the, their existence is the key to gaining power over them. Because I mean, at the end of the day, we are animals. We are different. I, I don't know. 
if you necessarily need to gain power over them. Yeah. Because I think I think for me it's about acknowledging their existence and being okay with it. I think like you don't necessarily have to gain power over it. I don't I, know. We could have this is, seems like a the philosophical Megan, argument. Megan just backhanded me on the podcast. <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. It's the giving your feelings a hug point of view. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but not thinking that they are necessarily something that will drive the ship, right? Yeah, I love that. Like they're not gonna be the Suez Canal pilot that just gets the thing stuck in the fucking harbor. And then has eight thousand Twitter and Twitter tweets about it after the You know, and, and I think that the the idea is that it's not even lifting you up. Like in the process of all this, it is also tearing the individual athlete down because as soon as you start being like, okay, I have to win, I have to do all these things. As soon as that process starts to tip the other direction, it's going to just turn into a shit storm. That's probably what happened to Lance. I mean, that is what happened to Lance. So back in the, in the nineties, like the, the traditional origin story of his doping is that he was this absolute legend of an athlete already as a kid. He won the world championships very young. Um, he was going to be the best. And then he comes back one year after EPO gains traction in the Peloton and starts getting beat by scrubs. And Lance's ego could not take this moment. And he's like, well, if they think they can be good on dope, doped, wait till they see what I can do doped. And that ego turned him into this, what ended up being a monster. I mean, he ruined so many lives, not just with his doping, obviously, but with like all the fallout the around that. The ramifications of that, yeah. But I also think what what I think about that concept too is is just how much energy it takes to sustain yeah. that part of the ego. Or even like I think about, this brings me back to Mean Girls. Yeah. Like just how much like energy it takes to have a frenemy yeah. compared to a friend. And in that like like negative energy process, you are building, tearing yourself down in the Wait, process too. I love that point. Frenemy are way worse to have than enemies. Like I think about that all the time. Like enemies are really easy for me to be like, oh, well, they don't really want what's best for me. I don't know. En enemies suck up, suck up a lot of energy. They do, but um, you can put them, you can put that aside. You can be like, okay, yeah, I'm sure. I guess there's like some sort of like rational you can have with that. Yeah. Like if someone doesn't give a shit about you, like who cares yeah, what they true. think? Yeah. But if someone is a friend, like frenemy that like you think is a friend, but actually isn't rooting for you, man, that's going to rip you to freaking shreds. Um, and so understanding that like these things that are tied to our baseline nature might also be tied to our downfall in the things that make us like dried up husks of humans is really important. And I think it gets back to the idea of like love more generally. Um, and this is the way we're going to end this episode, I think. Um, so the first is like love versus darkness. And the first big thing is the goal, loving yourself and being open to love of others, this openness. Like I just, I feel like when I hear that, I just think about like emitting this like beautiful yeah. radiant light into the world. Like but your watch, that process, yeah, like yeah, your shark like, watch. Like the shark, just be like the freestyle shark. Uh, exactly. And I think that that's a, a valid goal. A little, All of us have a little bit of that. But I think it's a valid goal. I don't think it's a realistic goal 100% oh, of the sure. time. And I think that's something that's really important to acknowledge is like none of these things, these are ideals. This is not gonna happen. Yeah. And then the next thing would be loving yourself and excluding others from that love. And that might be the ego monster, the Trump, the, you know, maybe MJ or whatever. Um, we all have that in us a little bit. And that's not necessarily a bad thing in a race. I was going to say, honestly, like, that seems like a pretty sweet spot to be because, like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, but I don't others fully. I mean, narcissism is terrible. Yeah, yeah. But, like, in a race, it's okay to indulge that feeling. And we have to balance Depending that. on who you are. Like, yeah. I think for me, I put so much pressure on myself that I actually need to, like, take on the, the thought processes of other people to get outside my own head and to stop putting so much pressure for on myself. For sure. And then the worst of all, perhaps, is excluding yourself and excluding others from that love. And the example of that might be Darth Vader, who started at this ego monster where he was making decisions for himself. And over time, it became the shame spiral where he hated who he was, was a bastion of like evil. And like, honestly, that's kind of like what you're, Tiger you're, Woods- Oh, you're crafting this like dark side in yeah. here. I love it. And it's kind of what Tiger Woods faced, you know? And I think all of us have that thing. It's like, are we going to go towards the light or are we going to go towards the dark? Oh my gosh, I love that. Find the light. Turn and on that, the freestyle shark light. And right? it's a decision we make every day. Love you guys. Turn on the light. Woohoo. Bye.